Most of you probably don't know me. I'm a good friend of Rob's. I've known him for maybe a decade. And uh, I served at the same church where he started out at, but um, two pastors after him. So he was a youth pastor at Moore Park Presbyterian, and then uh, was another pastor after that. And then several years later, I came there. And when I came to town, uh, we became friends. And so now, intermittently, he invites me to come and speak, and it's my privilege to be here this morning. I have my wife and my kids, and you'll get the um, the joy of meeting them later. Uh, my son is almost four. His name's Beckett. And my daughter is, is five years old. Her name's Reagan, and uh, they're just a, a joy to me. This morning, uh, what I want to do is I want to dive into something I've been kind of wrestling with over the last month. God's been teaching me uh, an interesting lesson and teaching me that um, the most important thing for me to do right now is to help people, um, to actually get stuck right in and to help, and that there's an immense amount of meaning and value out of helping people. And so that's what I want to do today. Before we dive right in, um, why don't you bow your heads with me, we'll say a word of prayer And we'll ask God to just bless this time of learning together. (coughs) Heavenly Father, please open our eyes and open our hearts, open our minds so that we can receive you, so that we can learn from the word, from from you. And we pray that you bless um, our time of learning so that um, it, it actually means something beyond today, that we can live it out, and God, that um, the seeds that are planted today can grow um, immensely, in Jesus' name, amen. The title of my sermon is called Crippled Jesus, it's a bizarre um, title, and actually if you look at the slide, you'll see an interesting and maybe provocative image of a statue of Jesus without any hands. And these photos were taken at the Regina Mundi Church in Soweto, South Africa. It's a township just outside of Johannesburg. I um, actually grew up, I was born and raised, lived most of my life in South Africa. And what's interesting um, about my upbringing and um, given me an immense different perspective and worldview is that I grew up during the apartheid era. And this is a, a really dark time in the history of South Africa which is really marred by segregation, racial discrimination, and even brutality, um, government-based social injustice and and force and brutality that was imposed on people to segregate them. Um, During this time, public gatherings were actually banned. Um, It was, uh, you weren't allowed as as black people to gather and to congregate in a gathering other than a church. And so in a church similar to this one, well, actually at this church, the Regina Mundi Church, they had the statue of Jesus that actually had the hands. And it wasn't um, uncommon for the police or the government to to use this brutality and this force um, while there were public gatherings of any kind. And at one police or government attack, they came to this church, um, fired a bunch of bullets and whatnot, and and tried to get the people to, to, to leave the church. And during that raid, the statue actually fell down face forward, and the hands of Jesus and the statue um, became severed. They broke off. And what's fascinating about this, the statue stands as is today. I pulled this one from Getty Images. Um, What's interesting about it is that the church leaders decided not to repair the statue. 
They actually felt, and I agree with them, that the statue without hands would be a great illustration that God's work is done through his people, through the church, where they literally are the hands of Jesus in this world. And today, in the church, in this church, in Light, at Lightshine, um, I, I want you to, to adopt the, um, the philosophy or the mentality that you, or we, are the hands of Christ. And look at that image. Get that in your mind. Etch it in there. Because if the Lord Jesus were to reach out through you, he's going to do it to the hungry and the lonely and the poor people. You must be the hands of Christ. And if he's to reach out uh, to the sick and, and depressed and hurting people, in this community, it must be through you, the hands of Christ. And if he's to reach out to those undergoing persecution or social injustice, it might be through you who are the hands of Christ. And this is what I'm going to be leaning into this morning. Um, the continued work of Jesus Christ in the world is done through what I call the sent church. And his mission is accomplished in and through the sent church, and communities, neighborhoods, and even the world are transformed within, so from within, when Jesus is planted, when the gospel is rooted within the local community, and we actually live <coughs> out or incarnate Jesus in the world that we live in, and we literally become the hands and the feet of Jesus. So, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me. We're going to be going to James chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 17, where we're going to unpack this a little more. And I am going to actually read it on the screen, because I'm juggling a, a Bible, a mic, and, <laughs> and um, all of that. But um, turn with me to James chapter 2, where we'll unpack this a little bit more. This is what James 2 says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but you don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? And suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? You see faith by itself isn't enough. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Um, a really fascinating uh, scripture. I'm a, a very visual person. Um, I often, my wife will tell you, I, I get these images in my mind and then I describe what I see. I, I've preached here before and I, I see a scripture like on the page, but in my mind, I, I have a different image, and I'll try and put that up on the screen for you. And in um, thinking about and just kind of letting this, this passage marinate in my heart, I got this really interesting image of what I actually think is the crux of what James is trying to teach us and what we should learn today. And I drew it. I'm not known for my art, but I drew it. I took a photo of it, and I threw it on the screen. And uh, excuse the stick figures, but... This is literally what I think James is trying to tell us. Here we see a cliff 
a person in dire need, and he's hanging on for dear life. In fact, the scripture tells us, he says, um, what good will it do? Will this kind of faith save anyone? Let me ask you, will this kind of faith save this man hanging on a cliffside unless something is done? And the man who's up there or the person who's up there who has you know, every opportunity to help kind of looks out, which I hear all the time, is I'll pray for you. James says, that's not enough. That's not going to save. That's not going to help. Um, unless your faith is accompanied with good deeds. Um, in other words, you have to put your faith into action. You have to put it into doing. It needs to be accompanied by good works. Um, I'll give you a little flyby of the book of James because we're taking some scriptures here and I don't want to take them out of context. The book of James um, is actually, uh, the, the scripture we looked at is part of a broader letter. Uh, it's referred to as the letter of James, the book of James, we can go to the next slide, or um, the epistle of James. It was written by a really interesting person. His name was James, but he was the brother of Jesus. And he spent time with Jesus, he walked with Jesus, he learned from Jesus. But after Jesus left, he became one of the early leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So he's a person of significance. The letter was written to Jewish Christians amidst uh, persecution, and they were scattered um, beyond Jerusalem in the towns and regions and, and countries and what James is doing is he's writing to them to encourage them to not only believe, but to live out their faith, right? to accompany it with action in the midst of their persecution. And there's three major themes in James. Um, the first one has to do with genuine religion. The second one has to do with genuine faith, which is kind of where we're um, digging in this morning, and the third one has to do with genuine, uh, genuine wisdom. And the major theme here that we're hitting on is genuine faith, living faith, um, where James is urging his early believers to not only hear the truth, but to put it in action, because true faith that is lived out transforms lives. <clears throat> And so when we focus on James 2, 14 to 17, I want to identify three really important learnings um, that I see in the text that I think have tremendous value for us and that I want us to take with us um, as we go out of here today. The first thing that we learn, you can see this on the slide, is that saying you have faith does no one any good. I would almost go as far as to say is not enough. He says this in verse 17. He says, it's not enough. So saying that you have faith is not enough. Um, he actually asks this interesting question. He says, can this kind of faith save anyone? In other words, what impact can be made if you don't practice what you preach? What impact can be made if you don't walk the walk, but you simply talk the talk, so to say? Can people be saved? Can lives be transformed? Can communities be impacted? And what James is stating is that merely saying you have faith is simply not enough. Um, in fact, even just listening to the word and understanding the word doesn't do anyone any good. In fact, it's not enough. James 
actually makes this point very clear early on in the letter um, that he writes in chapter 1, verse 22, when he says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Listening is not enough. And in fact, what I want to tell you today is that believing and believing in something um, doesn't do anyone any good if you don't accompany it with some sort of action or good works. Um, I actually recently saw this interesting Nike ad that features Colin Kaepernick. Is anyone aware of that? Has anyone seen that? Does anyone know the controversy with the Kaepernick uh, kneeling during the anthem? Disgrace! Um, But I think it kind of speaks a little bit to what we're talking about today. I want to pull up that ad here. Um, First of all, I love this motto of Nike, not to... I'm not getting endorsed or paid anything by Nike to to do this plug here, but this whole motto of just do it, they came out with that in uh, 1988, and I love it because I'm like, man, the church, the sent church, just do it, like, go out there, do it, Um, because, like, that's what I love, Um, but here here you see Colin Kaepernick, and, and it literally says here, believe in something, so epic even if it means sacrificing everything. Um, Count the cost. Like, apply what you believe. Stand for something. I mean, for this guy, he literally um, was kneeling during the anthem. It cost him immensely. I'm not here to talk about that today. Um, But what I do want to tell you is that this ad reminds me of something Jesus Christ said. And he was talking about the cost of discipleship. Jesus says this in Matthew. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's an action. It's a daily activity. It requires this following of Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Fascinating. I almost believe that they took that from Jesus. They just spiced it up a little bit, put Colin on there, and just do it. We're good. Buy our stuff. Especially our sneakers. They're dope. But living out your faith and what you believe actually could mean sacrificing everything. The second thing that I think this passage teaches us is that real faith is something you believe and is something that you do. You remember that one today because that's um, a big part of the the crux of that image I I drew for you guys that I spent a lot of time on. (laughs) Um, Billy Graham, the great pastor and evangelist um, and theologian, actually puts it this way. Why don't you just take a deep breath and exhale. That's what Billy Graham says um, faith and action are like. It's like breathing in and breathing out. He says, there really is no conflict between faith and works. In the Christian life, they go together like inhaling and exhaling. Faith is taking the gospel in. Works is taking the gospel out. I couldn't, I mean... Drop the mic. (laughs) Brilliant. But it's true. 
Um, James actually illustrates this in an analogy in verses 15 and 16. This breathing in and breathing out, inhaling and exhaling. And here's the analogy he gives us, or the example. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or their clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Um, he's illustrating that simply breathing in is not enough. There needs to be an exhaling. And I, I love uh, this image of the church where it's just like you're not even aware that you're breathing in and breathing out. It's just happening all the time. Um, wouldn't that be awesome? So I decided to draw this analogy uh, with this illustration um, because of my amazing art abilities. And my stick figures, I kind of think they portray this really well um, because I'm a visual person. But imagine um, here you see the person saying, I'm, I'm naked and I'm hungry, and the other person just passing by in a hurry saying, stay warm, eat well, or God bless. And they're gone. James is like, no, they ain't going to cut it. What good is that? What good does this type of living do? What kind of impact does this kind of living make? And can this kind of faith save anyone? It's actually ridiculous, if you ask me. And here's what I hear James saying. Um, I hear James saying, what good is it if you believe in the love of Christ? You don't show love. Yeah. If you believe in the forgiveness of God, but you actually don't forgive others, what good is it if you believe in the mercy of God, but you show no mercy? If you believe that God is generous, but you yourself do not show any generosity, real faith is something you believe and is something you do. You could literally ask yourself that and apply that to every aspect of the nature of Jesus Christ. Humble, patient, kind. Just go on and on and on and on. What good is it if you believe those things, but you yourself don't live those things out? You don't incarnate those things in the world that we live in. Which takes me to the third thing that I want to highlight from the passage. James makes this clear. He says, faith without good deeds is actually dead. And I put there that, um, just kind of as a follow-up, that authentic faith is made complete by good deeds. Unless your faith is accompanied by good deeds, it's lifeless and it's useless. And um, it's been many years since I busted out some Greek textbooks to try and understand um, what he's trying to get at. I saw that word dead and I was like, what is the Greek meaning of this? Because maybe there's more... Um, there's a deeper meaning. And when I pulled out my textbooks from Bible college, um, it comes from the Greek word nekra, um, which means is dead. It's an active thing. And it's literally like a decaying corpse. Um, in fact, James says this. I think I put another slide here. He says, it is dead and useless. You think you could save a person hanging on the edge of a cliff like that? I don't think so. Now, 
Let's just take a step back and look at the church um, or the body of Christ. And if we zoomed out, um, I was reading um, something interesting from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a a great theologian and martyr. um, And this is what he says. He says, the church is the church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. I uh, was involved, I had the privilege of being involved with a church plant similar to Lightshine. Um, That's how I spent a lot of time with Rob. And during this time we had somebody who was really involved in in the leadership team who who would often remind me, he said, Em, this thing that we are doing, this place that we are kind of gathering or where we're meeting, it's, it's not for us. He said, it's for everyone out there. <clears throat> he said, it's, it's not about us. It's about helping the people out there who don't know Jesus. And man, it was just humbling me over and over again um, and reminding me that pure and genuine religion involves a lot of doing, it involves a lot of good works, it involves a lot of action. Um, The church only is the church when it exists for others. Um, James has a very similar sentiment earlier on in the letter. Earlier in the letter, um, James says this, he says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. If I were to reduce the book of James down to what I think is a a really cornerstone of what James is trying to tell us and teach us about genuine faith, genuine religion, and the sight of God, it's this. It's two things. Number one, caring for the needy, orphans and the widows, as an example. And number two, not conforming, as Paul would put it, to the world or being corrupted by it. And that's true, pure Genuine religion. And so that kind of brings me to, well, the question that I always ask when I read scripture is now what? What does this mean? What do we do with this? How do we apply this? Um, I hope you agree with me. I hope that God is stirring something in your heart. Um, when I look at, at us as individuals, um, we're, we're sent, and we're supposed to live out our sentness in this world. Jesus said, as I am, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And that's why I like to call the church the sent church. Um, but today, I want to leave you, and I want to come back full circle on this concept of being the hands and, and the feet of Jesus in the world, and living out that sentence, incarnating Jesus in a way that um, it is not meaningless, in a way that does change lives and save lives and transform lives. And so I want to leave you with this. Um, It's a really fascinating um, writing from a reformer uh, and theologian named Teresa of Avila, And she wrote this. She wrote, Christ has no body now but yours. 
No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Amen.